Last week, uh, we spoke of God as the one true Father, because that's what he is. He is the one true Father. And we said that he's not like human fatherhood. Uh, You can't look at someone on earth and project that up onto God, or else you're going to end up with a messed up view of who God is. God is perfect in his fatherhood, and sometimes human fathers are a little bit like him. That's about as good as it gets. We also said that to know God as Father was is is sorry at the deepest human need. To know God as Father will set us free. We talked through the way that uh, the things of our, our own fathers has affected us, and in one sense has left us all a little bit broken. And I use the image of this. Sometimes we think, well, I've got a good dad. And then someone else might say, well, I've got a really bad dad. Yeah. I want to say that these two are far closer together than God is so far above us in who he is. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yep. The good and the bad are basically minusculely apart compared to the fatherhood of God. And we said last week that um, what Jesus has done both is to forgive our sins and also to deal with our brokenness that comes uh, from these things. Um, And I would encourage you, there was two sermons last week on this, listen to them both. It'll be a good thing. This week we're talking, and it might not seem, well it is all about fatherhood, but it's actually about if God is the one true father, then there is one true son who is Jesus. And that tells us something about his fatherhood. So I'm looking at four points, again, so you can count them through and go 25% of the sermon over, 50% of the sermon over, and then, you know, that's, that's when it's downhill and it's good. Um, number one, Jesus, the perfect son of the father. I want to look at three ways our deplorable sin reflects the the breakdown of childhood to the father. I want to look at what God's answer to our rebellion is. And then fourthly, we're going to look at our life, which is in Christ, the one true son, and the way the spirit reforms us to be like the one true son. Okay. Some of you would look at a little boy as he runs past and say, wow, he looks just like his father. Yep. Or maybe in Aaron's case, a big boy. And you'd say, he's just like his father. And then you would see and you would listen to them talk and you would see their mannerisms and you would go, wow. Some of those mannerisms are good and some of them are bad, but they're there. He's just like his father. Yep, you've thought that, obviously, just in the same way you would have seen girls who look just like their mother. And maybe we might even say and use this phrase, he is the splitting image of his father. Yep, you've used that. He's in the image of his father. Jesus is the splitting image of his father. That's my first point. He is just like the father. Do you understand that? The Son is, the, Hebrews 1.3, says the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Yep. 
Don't think, look, Jesus was a bit like this in character, but the Father's like this. No, no, no. He's the splitting image. He is the true image. He is the one true Son of the Father. You get that? So Jesus always does the will of the Father. Now let's you go, yeah, 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 I know this theology. You ever think of the miracle of that? Whoever does the true will of anybody? <laughs> yep. Jesus does the true, full will of the Father. He works for the Father. He submits to the Father in every way. He is just like the Father, which means he, that means he doesn't have any sin. Because sin is anything that's not like the Father. Okay? Jesus said in John 14, If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, you've seen him. Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Okay. You've seen me, you've seen the Father at work. You've seen the character of me, you've seen the Father. Jesus lived, one man only ever lived as a true son of the one true Father. All right, that seems like a small point. It's not. This is massive. Okay. Now, all humanity is actually described in the Bible as being created in the image of God. So that means we're all just like Jesus, right? Yeah. Well, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. Yeah. And then something went wrong. They were no longer like the Father because what happened was the image of God, though there's a remnant in every man and woman and child on this earth, there is a remnant of the image of God in every one of them. They've actually spoiled and marred and ruined that image when sin came into the world. In other words, we are no longer like our Father and we are not like Jesus. Okay? We might carry a little bit. But actually, if you were to think about the devil who's called the father of all lies, I think we'd have to admit we carry a fair bit of that remnant too. True? We call that the flesh or the sinful nature. That's with us. And I want to look at three ways here that this affects us, but I'm looking at it as in, as in the way children are. And the first point is this, how our sin affects us and our relationship with God is, is in anger. Have you ever seen a child throw a tantrum? Yep. What does it look like? Come on, describe it. I thought you wanted a reenactment. Oh, you wanted a reenactment? Okay. Or, or you just, just give one of your children a lollipop and then steal it back from them. Is that, that, would that do it? Yeah. <laughs> um, why do they do it? They're not getting their way. Yep. And then I've asked this question before. How many of you who are parents taught your children how to throw tantrum? Did you ever say to your children, look, you've got to actually lay down. No, no, not on your front. You lay on your back so that you can get all four limbs really flailing. No, 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 no. Don't whisper. You've got to yell it out. Yell out. Yep. Did anybody ever teach their child that? How is it that every child knows how to throw a tantrum perfectly without ever being taught? Right? That's the sinful nature. Yeah? You've got to teach your children how to not throw tantrums. 
Now that's when they're young, that anger, that seething anger. But when people are old, of course, they lose that. (laughs) That's a joke. (laughs) What happens when people get older is that they learn how to control it a little bit more sensitively to everybody else. True? Yeah? Yep. We don't externally lie on the floor kicking our legs and screaming. But internally, there's a fair bit of that going on. Why do we do that? Well, generally, because we don't get our way. If I, so I wanted to start by saying, ask this question, do we get angry with God the Father? And of course we say, oh, not really. I'm not like that. Do we internally throw tantrums? Uh, well, yeah, okay. When things don't go our way, there is some sense where secretly we are saying, why did you allow that God or, or why did you cause that God? What are you doing? Do you notice how I said, with, this is a topic about the fatherhood of God. And I just said, what are you doing God? I never said father because no one says that. Just say you're really angry with God. You don't say, why did you do that father? You don't say that, do you? You can't. It doesn't, that makes no logical sense. You can't use an intimate name about the one who loves you dearly and say, Father, what are you doing? That's not how it goes. We've got to say, God. Yeah, yeah, we know you're powerful. We know you're in control. We're just not happy with the way you're doing things. Do you get get that? In Genesis 2, if you were to read through Genesis 2, it says, of the the Lord God said this. The Lord meaning Yahweh. Yahweh, the intimate name of God. Yeah, the Lord God said this. The Lord God said that. The Lord God did this. The Lord God brought the woman to the man. The Lord God, right? And then it says, and now the, the, the serpent was the most crafty of all the animals the Lord God had made. And then the serpent says, did God really say? If you're going to start questioning God, don't use his intimate name. The devil's saying, I am going to tell you something. God is not that good to you. He's not trustworthy. You need to get a bit of anger, you people, Adam and Eve. You can't use the personal name. Yep. You can imagine it. No child on the floor of food works throwing a tantrum has ever said, dearest mum, why can't I have that? (laughs) It's you. You've got power over me, but I'm not happy. So when things don't get out the, go the way we want, our wisdom, our control is thrown into question and we have this anger. And it is directed at the fatherhood of God because it questions. When we call him God rather than father, we are questioning his fatherhood. I, I told the story recently at a men's group, but it's true. Ned and I were working at this place and I went to drill a hole uh, through a piece of corrugated iron and, and snapped my drill off in the man drill at the centre of the, um, what's called the hole saw, because it caught in the iron, because it was crooked, went snap. Oh, well, that's okay, because I'm a smart tradesman, I've got a spare over there in the toolbox. So I walked past the trench we'd been digging. Yep, soft ground everywhere. Got my new one, shoved it in the hole, did it up what I thought was tight, Walked back with the drill like this, got back to the other end, and it was gone. It had dropped 
and I look back along the 20 metres of trench and, and my immediate reaction was to say this, what are you doing, God? Like it was, I, I was overwhelmed by the fact that I could actually be, that I would actually, you know, I took it out. I went straight to the top. I knew who had done that. Maybe it was so that I could tell the story. Um, no, <laughs> no. You know that feeling, don't you? How long does it take to go from, I'm calm, I'm in control, I'm smart, I've got a spare. What are you doing? Let's be honest. It's not just God who is sovereign and ruling over things. I want to tell you this. The Father is ruling over all things. Should that comfort us? Yeah. What does it mean? The same one who is in control is also the one who dearly loves us and is working for our good. Okay. You see, the devil brought in the question when he said, did God really say? He brought in the question, does God really know what's best for you? But the Father does know what's best for us. God is Father. And he always knows what's best. And that means that human anger is actually irrational. Now, I know we want to say, but Jesus got angry. Yeah, Jesus got angry with human sin, not the Father. Ain't the same. Can you see that? Yeah. He always knows what's best for us. And human irrational. Do you ever think about Jesus on the cross? And you know, if you read particularly Matthew's Gospel, you get a kind of a whole half a chapter of people mocking and shouting at Jesus on the cross and literally hating him and pouring out scorn and, and yet what had he done up till then? Healed people taught them loved them, served them good reason to hate them hey, where, does that, where did that hatred come from? Is it because they didn't know who he was? I think it's because they knew exactly who he was and who he represented the Father. Because at the end of the day, that's where anger is poured out. On the Son of God, who's in the image of the Father. Okay. So that's human anger. Second part, sorry, this is what the to take so long. Our selfishness and manipulation. Now, learning to grow as a child is kind of an exercise in learning how to manipulate the world around you to run your direction. Is that true? And our children get very good at it from a young age. Yeah? They know how to manipulate their parents and people, situations, to get the required outcome. And sometimes we even start to do that on on God because we get, as I say, even better at it as as adults. Negative psychology. I've actually found myself at times... Do you know sometimes you can, I, I, I confess my sin to God and I realise the reason I'm doing this is because I want him to do something. So if I come in with this humble posture, God's going to have to take me seriously. Right? Maybe I psychoanalyse myself, but I am quite capable of trying to manipulate the living God who's Father of all. Doing good works to get brownie points, right? Yeah. Earning grace, as if that's a thing. You can't earn grace, or else it wouldn't be grace, would it? 
I was very proud of Bible College because at the end of my three years, I was given an award. All the students got an award for something stupid, you know, have that mess up night at the end. And I got this award for no compromise, theologically. How good was that? In reality, what was going on in my heart during those years of Bible college, I was dealing with a whole lot of horrible sin. So my trying to get everything right, right perfectly theologically was just compensating. Here, God, look how perfect my theology is. Yeah, that'll hide from the fact that inside I've got a lustful, dirty heart. That'll make it all right, won't it? Do you understand? I'm manipulating God. Because God sees through all that because he knows all things. It's worthless before him. He's the father who disciplines his children and sometimes that discipline is exposing our sin. That's why it's great peace and joy to confess our sin. So when you find yourself living in that... So, what we can say is this. Jesus, the one true son, never tried to manipulate anybody. He just put it out there. He said the truth. Yep. And by the way, if you accept my truth, Jesus said, you know, you have received eternal life. If you don't, well, that should be eternal damnation. That's, that's it. Yeah, he didn't say, but it won't be that bad. He didn't dress things up. He didn't manipulate people. He was truthful all the time. Yep. He was the one true son who lived exactly like the father. God is never conniving and twisting and manipulating you to get things you don't want to do. He's truth. All the time truth. Okay. Point three is an easy one. Right? Point three about a sin and the way this works out. Sorry. Uh, I'm not sorry at all, really. Um, Our refusal to submit. Okay. Uh, we uh, knew an, uh, a, a man in South Australia, Jeff Bingham was his name, and he used to do a lot of counselling. He counselled people with marriage breakdowns, with addictive sins, alcoholism, drugism, if that's a word. Um, and, and he would ask the question, he would start here, have you ever really submitted to anybody? And you think, what's that got to do with the fact that I'm an alcoholic or that my marriage is broken down? Have you ever really submitted to anybody? To anyone? I, not just towed the line. You know what towed the line is? Yeah, I'll go along with that because I agree with it. Yeah? Not just because I think it'll work out better for me. But have you actually willingly said, I will submit, even though I don't fully agree, I will just simply submit? Because you see, from childhood, we rebel. And as adults, our rebellion is far more mature and self-justified. <laughs> mature rebellion. How about that? I'll submit to you as long as I know that in every way you're doing what's best, which of course means I'll submit to you as long as you do what I know you should tell me I should submit to you in. Do you get that? I'll submit to my parents as long as I think that they know what's right and best for me, which I know. I'll submit to my husband who, as long as I know that he knows what I think is, or I'll submit to the needs of my wife who, as long as she agrees with what I think they are, I'll submit to the government who thinks what I think and I'll submit to God when he thinks what I think. Do you get it? In other words, there's one person in this world I will submit to and it's me. 
Yep. Do you hear that? Yep. That part of the spoiled image of God. Children rebelling against the Father. Jesus delighted to do the Father's will. Right. He said, even at going to the cross, not my will, but yours be done. He loved the Father and he did the Father's will even if it meant death. This is striking. This should slap us in the face to wake us up, right? Yep. Submission as children is not what we do, but it's what Jesus, the one true son, did. That is what true children of God look like. Submissive. And if you look up that word through the whole New Testament, you'll find it's there a whole lot. Not just wives and husbands. Us submitting to God. That's there a whole lot more. Do you get it? Children to parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Us to God. Jesus submitted to the Father. And even um, if you uh, look at Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Scorning its shame. Shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Who for the joy set before him, he delighted in the Father's will to go to the cross. And Jesus is the splitting image of the Father, serving sinful humanity. What, I, what I'm saying is, you want to know what the fatherhood is like, true fatherhood, you've got to see true sonship, you've got to see Jesus, and you've got to see the way that Jesus is not like us. And I've given you just three points there, the way our anger and our self-righteousness and our manipulation and selfishness and our rebellion against authority are all opposed to God, but Jesus at every moment lived as the one true son. So what does God meet this rebellion that comes to us with? What does he... What does he do? Because, let's face it, if, 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 if you think, with me, with my sinful nature, if someone rebels and is against and hates and, and mocks and everything that we do to God, what would we meet that with? Well, a fist. If I have it all powerful, well, that'd be easy. Lightning bolt. Bye-bye. Yep. Is that what we deserve? Absolutely. What is God's answer? Well, the Father brings a plan of salvation at great cost. You see, sometimes we think Jesus come to deal with an angry God who is out to get us. Yeah? Jesus died in our place because of the Father's love for us. Can you say that? Father's not distant at the work of the cross. It was his plan and his purpose from the beginning. And Jesus submitted to that as the one true son. But you see, through the cross of our salvation, we see the love of the Father. The Father loves us. And his plan ultimately was to reconcile us to himself as what? As children. Children. Yep, the reconciling God, the God of love, the holy God, restores us to being children. John 1, 11 says, 
He came, that's Jesus came, to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Nobody would receive him, Jesus. And yet in God's grace, many received him. Not by their will, but by the will of the Father. And to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you want to know how to become a child of God? Believe in Jesus. Yep. Turn from yourself and turn to him. Believe in Jesus. That's what a Christian is. If a Christian meant someone who's got it all together, give up everybody. Because none of us have. Do you understand that? If a Christian meant a really, really good person... Christians are those who put their trust in Jesus. And what happens when they believe in his name? He gives them the right to become children of God because he has forgiven them and restored them and taken away all the sin so that we can say how great is love the Father has lavished on us that we can be called children of God. And that is what we are. That's 1 John 3, 1. Now, if that's what we are, what does that mean about what Jesus has done for us by taking all our sin and making us children of God, then we are children who look like God, splitting images. Now, that might sound like the opposite to everything I've said up till now. But can you, because often you just have a good look at yourself and say, I don't know if I'm a splitting image of God. And I look around this room and I can see a whole lot of people who are worse than me. Um, <laughs> they're not splitting images of God, right? Yeah, I'm just talking about what you're thinking, not me. Um, He restores us to being the image of God himself. And this restoration comes through Jesus. And what he does, this is my last point, is we are adopted into God's family. Adopted. Now, just think of this image. You've got a child, say a 10-year-old, brought up in a terrible environment, Lots of bad habits, everything going wrong for them. And uh, a mum and a dad over here adopt them, that child, into their family, right? A good and right family. What has happened at that moment they're adopted? Is that child any different? No. All the bad habits, everything else. But something big has changed. They've got a new surname. They belong to the Father. They belong to that family. They carry that name and they will do forevermore. And then a change will come. You know that change will come, won't it? In time, they'll teach, they'll learn, they'll example and all that sort of thing. But right from the start, fully a child. Fully a child of God. 100%. Full rights. An inheritor of the house. Everything right from the start. You see, that's what Jesus is, except he was never sinful. You understand? He is fully the perfect son. And what happens is, you see, the Bible speaks of this strange imagery, which is the most used image of what it is. It's not the Bible, the, the New Testament doesn't talk about with believers so much, it does. It doesn't just talk about them being Christians. It doesn't talk about them having new life. It uses this phrase of those 
who are Christians. You know what it is? It says we are in him or in Christ. Because it looks something like this. Jesus is the perfect son. He is also our older brother. And when the father looks at us, the children who are ratty at times, he looks at us through Jesus, the perfect son. He sees us in him. And in him, what do we look like? Splitting image of the father. Through him and what he's done, we are in Christ and we are new creations. So in Colossians 3 verse 1 to 4 it says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And if you're with Christ and if you're attached to him and you're in him, then when the Father sees you, he sees a perfect child in his image. Absolutely holy. And so to be a Christian is not to be autonomous. You know what autonomous means? It means self-law. You, got, you do it your own way. You're actually completely attached to Christ at every moment. You're in him. You're not individuals. You are joined to Christ. And this is good. Very good. United to him. Not his own. And then, what does the father do? By the spirit, he starts disciplining his children. He starts shaping them. He disciplines the adopted ones who are fully his eternally. Romans 8.15 says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And then... If you read on a bit further, it speaks of the creation awaits eagerly in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into... Now, this is talking about the future hope of the whole world. What are we going towards? Brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. When the children of God are revealed fully and they all look just like their father because they're all perfected in him. They carry his image. In the meantime, he's working on you. He's driving out your anger and turning it into faith, to trust. He's driving out your selfishness and manipulation and he's turning you to people who love. And he's driving out your rebellion, making you children who love and desire in your hearts to do the Father's will. See, we're not left as orphans. Orphan doesn't have a father. That's what we're told, isn't it? We're adopted, beloved children. And our brother, 
the one true son has saved us back into the family so that we can cry, Abba, Father, through the Spirit that's poured out on us. I'm going to pray. Father, I just pray that you would make this real to us. We don't want to live in a world with futile thinking. We don't want to live as rebellious, self-centred, worldly, devilish children. We want to live your way. And so, Father, remind us again fully what Jesus has done for us, that we might trust in him, that we might see in the power of the Spirit that you have restored us to being sons and daughters of the living God, of you, our great Father. And I pray that as we work through the issues of our lives, that we would do this under your great fatherly care, that you would cause us to be soft, gentle, lowly children who reflect your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.